How'd you like that new green countdown? That's in honor of Joe Biden being in Ireland. Uh, he's been in Ireland all week, but this week we are back with Sean Davis, the CEO of The Federalist. Sean, uh, it is great to be with you, uh, to have you on our podcast. We're so happy, obviously, that you're on True Social, but welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm wondering what kind of deals Hunter was getting done with uh, the leprechauns over there and their pots of gold. Bye, to to Yeah, nobody knows exactly what they were doing over there. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I don't think there's ever been a presidential trip that has stayed in one country for, I don't know, what it's like, what are, what are they on, day four or five right now? Yeah, it's it's crazy. And and you had Hunter like having to answer questions for him to to a bunch of kids who were asking him questions. It's it's uh it's bizarre. Yeah, and then we had some we just put it put it out on True Social. There was some strange video that Biden obviously didn't nail the end of his closing speech and he said something about licking. I don't know, maybe we'll get the producer to find that video and we'll put it up, but it was very very strange. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but we'll we'll, we'll I play haven't it seen that. We'll play it for you and get you, get your reaction. All but right. let's get let's get right into it. Obviously, the Federalist has been on the on True Social from the very beginning, and you know, recently in the last couple of weeks, um, you were a big defender of Elon Musk, as was I, as was President Trump. Um, you know, our mission here at True Social is to keep the internet open, to give everyone a, a voice and have access to it. But there was a little strange activity with with Twitter. Uh, well, more than just what happened with you, but I think yours was interesting because uh, you now live in Tennessee and you were familiar with the school uh, that had the horrific shooting. But uh, just can you walk us through what what exactly did they they ban you for? Did they did they kick you off? Ban you permanently? Did you have to delete something? What, what do we need to know? Yeah, so we had that shooting. Um you know, a week and a half, two weeks ago, it was on a, a Monday, I believe. And we and everyone else were reporting on it. We were trying to get the facts out, trying to figure out what happened uh, to let people know. And as it turned out, it was a transgender person, uh, a woman pretending to be male, who went into this school, uh, shot her way in, ended up killing uh, three third graders and uh, three teachers and staff there. And so, you know, once we figured out who it was, we're hearing reports from the cops that uh, the person had targeted uh, this Christian school deliberately, that the person had a manifesto, um, and that it was clearly targeted at Christians. And so we started looking into it and found out that this shooting happened the same week, just days ahead of a scheduled trans day of vengeance, which is, uh, that's a, uh, you know, there's accountability there's justice, and then there's vengeance. That was a very particular word that the, the trans community uh, picked up there. And so we reported on it, as did a bunch of others, Luke Rosiak at Daily Wire. Uh, I know Michael Knowles at Daily Wire. So as we're trying to process all this information, we were, we were publishing news articles on it, we were putting it on social media, and I linked a news article from the Daily Wire, uh, which is also in Nashville, uh, it was a two-week-old article about how this Trans Day of Vengeance had been planned. So fast forward a couple days, and I got not one, but five or ten different notices from Twitter that I was being locked out of my account until I deleted this tweet, which was inciting, glorifying, and threatening violence. And uh, it, it, the... The tenor of the emails I got from Twitter was, was amusing in hindsight. The first one said, you've been locked out of your account. You've broken these rules. 
and then the had a colon and then nothing. You've broken all these rules, Sean. And then there are no rules. You need to delete this tweet, Sean. There was no tweet. Um, so then each additional email from Twitter like had a little bit more information. I, I eventually find out it was because I linked this story to uh, the Daily Wire news piece. And this whole time you had Ella Irwin, who, who's this, uh, I, I guess she works under a bridge for Elon uh, moderating content. And she decided, well, no, you can't have this picture, which was showing the flyer information for this trans day of engine. So anyone who's putting that picture up, we're going to delete that picture. Mm-hmm. And people said, wait, that's not, that's not what's happening. You're not deleting a picture. Well, anyone who posts the picture, we're going to lock that account out. Well, I didn't post the picture. I posted a link to a news story. It was actually Twitter itself that embedded the picture from the story into my tweet. And they said, you're locked out of your account. You cannot get in. You cannot look at tweets. Uh, you cannot do anything until you delete this tweet. And there's no way on earth I will ever do that. Um, because they do this thing that the Marxists and the Maoists did during the Chinese Cultural Revolution, these struggle sessions, where they accuse you of crimes, they bring you in, and then you're browbeaten and gaslit and punished until you sign a false confession. Admit that what you did was wrong, uh, uh, ask for atonement, and then maybe they'll let you back on. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't incite anything. I didn't threaten or glorify violence. So I said, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I didn't do anything wrong. I appealed it, gosh, five or 10 times. All the appeals got rejected. And uh, basically, yeah, that, that screenshot you have there is what I was greeted with every day until I deleted it. So I said, I'm not doing that. Um, and then a, a couple of friends, including Robbie Starbuck, who's just a great guy, great friend of the movement. He started browbeating Elon and Ella Irwin saying, what is wrong with you guys? These people who did this, they didn't break any rules. They didn't do anything wrong. Uh, Elon eventually relented and said, oh yeah, that person shouldn't have been locked out, but never got an apology, never got a notice that I wasn't locked out. I just logged in one day and they let me back in. So if you go to my Twitter account now, I've deleted all of my tweets except for two. The one they told me I needed to delete and a link to an article I wrote about how it's time for free speech proponents to just let Twitter die. Um, because I, I had high hopes for Elon. I, I think he's an am- amazing businessman. He's a visionary. Uh, he's one of the most impressive businessmen and entrepreneurs in all of history. But a, a lot of the promises he's made, he's made just haven't come to fruition. And it, it's disappointing. Well, then I can guarantee you that picture existed most likely all over Twitter from the trans community that was actually promoting that. And it was probably all over, was promoting that day of, what did they call it? Day of Vengeance? Day of Vengeance, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it would, it would you could have found it all over the web. So interesting that they just targeted you. And, you know, look, I think that's the larger problem that Twitter, you know, is going to have is, you know, they're sitting there in, in San Francisco, uh, which is basically about like being in Washington, D.C. as a Republican. So, you know, the odds are that most of the people that are still working at Twitter are hard left. And as you said, have have adopted what they used to be kind of be libertarian, a little bit libertarian leaning left. And now they've adopted this woke Marxism where they think they run the world. And my guess is there's just hundreds and hundreds of them there that at Twitter that they're having trouble uh, getting, you know, getting uh, rid of or even finding because I'm sure this stuff is happening all day long. And then it's also kind of wading through their oceans and oceans of bots that they have 
uh, that they've allowed to be created to also. Well, yeah, and it was interesting during that week, uh, Elon, uh, he wasn't on Twitter that week. He wasn't tweeting. He wasn't liking stuff. Uh, I mean, the guy's got like multiple billion dollar businesses that he started from scratch and is running. He's a busy dude. But I found it fascinating that while he was away, all the little Marxist mice went and played while he was gone. And it wasn't until he came back and realized that they had done a shot for shot remake of the Hunter Biden laptop banning nonsense where he cracked the whip again and, and, and fixed it. But, but the problem is, you might remember this, when he came in, he said at one point, well, yeah, we're going to do content moderation because you have freedom of speech, not freedom of reach. Like it's a direct quote from Elon. That right there means Twitter can never, ever actually be a free, free speech platform. Because at that point, you have consented and signed off on the premise that some speech needs to be policed, that, that some speech just isn't nice enough to be out there, regardless of whether it's legal, it's not vulgar, it's not obscene. He uh, agreed in principle with all the censors that they need their visibility filters, that they need to be able to throttle people. And until he renounces that, until he acknowledges that that sentiment is wrong and fatal to the concept of free speech, I don't possibly see how Twitter can ever be a free speech platform. You have to get rid of all the visibility filters. You have to get rid of all the throttling. And, you know, I think deep down he, he wants that. He said that if it's not illegal, he doesn't have a problem with it being on there. But yet, you know, we're almost, uh, you know, eight, nine months into him owning it. And we're having the exact same problems as we had in 2020 when people were shut down for sharing news articles, which were true from the New York Post. Yeah. And, you know, that's the challenge with, you know, Republicans, center right, you know, people in the media out there. If you, you, know, you just can't go put all, all your eggs in the uh, tech tyrant platforms. I mean, you almost you're, you're really forced. Um, of course, that's why we exist. But you're really forced to be on true social and on Rumble, because if you're not at any given point, you can be you can be completely eliminated. I did a, um, a podcast this morning on uh it's called the x22 report i'm actually gonna try to interview the x22 report uh guy and he's nobody knows what he looks like he stayed kind of incognito but he's a guy sean who's been banned from basically everywhere um i'm gonna i'm looking forward to having him on because he hasn't been banned just from all the social media um he had almost a million subscribers on youtube wow. and and they they banned him. He was banned by places like PayPal. So even people that paid him, um, he even got his audio podcast banned from one of the the podcasters. Even if they, even as they kept upping, they were charging him. And I have my own podcast, Sean. That were, that, well, actually, this will be a simulcast. We'll put this up for audio later, and, and many of you are probably listening to it. But they he didn't even realize this. But they the the podcasting company kept upping his rate until he talked to other podcasters. Typically, if you're a podcaster and, you, and you're getting a lot of uh, a, a big reach and you're getting a large audience, you don't get charged. <laughs> so, but this guy, they were charging him, hoping he would just go away because they didn't want to have to just, just shut him down. But, but <laughs> my point is, is that, you know, this, there's no reason for this. This guy analyzes politics and business and, and whatever else he's been doing this for many, many years. And he's been banned everywhere because largely because he he doesn't follow the you know, he just won't follow the left wing rules of these tech companies. And he's going to you know talk about what he wants to talk about. 
Well, yeah, and I, I think that illustrates the big threat that we face right now, and it's an existential threat for the Republic. And it's the, the unholy alliance of big government and big tech gets you big brother. And it's bad enough when you have one of them acting alone, but this symbiosis between them where they can go and they can ban you from social media, they can cut you off from PayPal, they can cut you off from your banks. This is the total state. I mean, it's, it's a concept that's kind of so foreign to the American mind. I don't think we even have good words uh, to describe it. But they, they are working together to make sure that you simply cannot exist uh, in the modern economy if you commit the cardinal sin of opposing their narrative. And it, it's just, it's actually terrifying. And I think a lot of people are just whistling by the graveyard. They just think, oh, you're just mad because you don't get a big audience and you're getting fewer clicks, you know, suck it up and get over it. Nope, buddy, they're coming for you too. Like yeah. they, they're going after random bloggers, PayPal's in Venmo. They're shutting down people's ability to make money. YouTube's throttling you. Google will make sure you don't come up on search. Facebook will make sure you don't show up. And then Twitter uh, and Instagram will make sure that you're banned and can't access it. Like we, we live in the 21st century and the digital square is the public square. And this unholy alliance between big government and big tech is the end of, you know, we hear a lot about the end of democracy from the left. This is the actual end of democracy, the fusing of the state and, and, and the corporate apparatus. That's actual fascism. You know, most people throwing around the word don't know what it means. They, they just think it's a stand in for people I don't like. But that's actual fascism. And we're facing it right now. And everyone just seems kind of inured to the to the the risk that we have here, that our whole republic comes crashing down. Because if you can't go and say what you want, if you can't go and bank where you want, if you can't buy things you want, sell what you want. Uh, because your politics, we don't have a country anymore. Yeah, it's like uh, what I taught used to talk about back in 2010. I wrote a policy book, and I used to call it the convergence of of big government, big business, and the radical left. But since that time, with the advent of social media and now how everyone is using effectively the internet to to receive their information, you know, through these through these phones. You're exactly right. It's really now this convergence with big tech and all this information. So now they're they have a direct feed of propaganda to every individual, whatever they want the, the propaganda to be. And then on the other side, if you close out the internet from everyone able to use it, and even more so cut off their funding stream. And I think that's the 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 you know kind of the next big battle. I think what Rumble and and Truth social have done, we've effectively opened the internet back up. Um, there's no, there's really no way to cancel us uh, at all anymore. I mean, the only people that, that we are beholden to sadly is we have to stay up in the Google play store and the Apple app store uh, because they're, those are monopolies. They have monopolies on both the Android and the Apple phones, but you know, moving forward, moving forward here, the next big realm that has to be conquered is and, and, and a solution for is the amount of ad revenue that does not go to anything that is deemed center center right and there's billions and billions of dollars and sean i mean i know you you're the ceo of the federalists i know you have to be struggling with that uh just like you know the rest of these these companies are and you know the, and, you know it started with fox news with their primetime lineup that gets basically more, I think it's usually the number one cable show. I think if you, if you look at from, 
nearly all evening long across all of television, those shows are number, you know, in the top five at least. And they, they dwarf most of the time they have more people watching a Tucker Carlson than all the other news uh, agencies combined, you know, Fox probably should have fought that years ago. Maybe they have been trying to fight it. I mean, you know, obviously it's a big corporation, so we don't know exactly what they did, but that's allowed this now to permeate down across, uh, you know, kind of everywhere. You know, if you're a conservative, um, that was one of the things that, that the, the X 22 guy was talking about was, you know, the problem of that, you know, ads back in the day when he was on YouTube and, and on a podcast, the advertisers had basically deemed him, you know, misinformation. You know, this was several years ago. This didn't just happen last, you know, last six months. So a lot of us, you know, like me, you know, that, that got shadow banned by uh, these tech tyrants back in 2017 and 18. Um, I think the rest of the world is kind of waking up to this and, you know, we're dealing with, you know, we're all hopeful that, you know, maybe Twitter can turn around, but I think it's going to be going to be very difficult. Sean, I want to go back to the, you know, you live near Nashville. You had a connection to, <clears throat> to the school. Um, but I, I guess I'll just bluntly ask this. This, was, this is what everybody wants to know. Where the hell is the manifesto? Is there, is there really a manifesto? Where the hell is it at? Do we know? Yeah, it's kind of fascinating how how we don't have that. It, it, all the indications are that it's there and that the powers that be don't want it out. And, and I find it fascinating. You have CNN uh, in 2017 or 2018 showing up at the home of some random grandmother to interrogate her on a Facebook meme she had posted, which they had alleged was was Russian information. It, they went after a kid who apparently smirked wrong at a pro-life rally at a Stolen Bauer, Stolen Bauer left-wing activist. Uh, it, this was the, the Covington issue. If you look at them crosswise, they will dig up everything you have ever said and done. And if you were perfect, they'll mischaracterize it and destroy you. And yet this person premeditatedly walked into a school, fired, I think, 152 rounds, killed three children, and three staff members and teachers, and we haven't seen a word from this manifesto, the only reason we don't have it out there is the same reason why we all got banned on Twitter for reporting on the, the demonic evil that is transgender ideology. It's not out there because it is devastating and fatal to the narrative that the left is trying to promulgate. That's it. That's the only reason we haven't seen it. If this guy had walked in, or this woman had walked in wearing a red MAGA hat, and the Let's Go Brandon shirt, uh, that person's entire life, everything she had ever written would have been out in the open for everyone to see. And the entire movement of anyone who ever even said, I kind of like Trump, they would have been indicted as well, it, it, along with this person. And yet instead, we've, we've got the Nashville police, uh, which report to a completely crooked left-wing mayor uh, and a completely crooked and left-wing DA all tamping down on it so no one can see it. So we all know exactly what's happening with that manifesto. And we all know exactly why it's not out there because it's devastating to their narrative and they don't want anyone to see the facts because it shows exactly what is behind and what comes from this awful, evil uh, transgender ideology. Well, that's interesting. I figured you knew exactly. I figured it had something to do because Nashville is one of the only blue areas in, in the state of Tennessee. 
and even then it's not it's not very blue but i think the the city itself which i'm guessing that's where the the attack occurred within the city limits so it's this it's the pd um what about the is the department of justice or the fbi i i first thought it must be them that are involved in this and in, in hiding this manifesto well i i think it's all of the above um I, I think obviously the the metro nashville police which did a remarkable job in stopping that shooting as quickly as they did i don't think they've gotten the the men who ran in there and stopped it have not gotten nearly the credit they deserved um compare what they did to what happened in in uvalde with the the police there who cowered in the hallways checking their phones putting on hand sanitizer while kids were getting killed um these police in Nashville, they weren't SWAT guys. They were patrol guys. They got the call. They went in there and they ended it almost immediately. So the police, I think, are fantastic. But at the end of the day, you know, the chief of police is a political officer, reports to a completely ridiculous left wing mayor. Uh, the mayor is the brother of former Democrat rep Jim Cooper uh, and is even more uh, left wing than him. But I, I think the FBI, DOJ, uh, the Nashville DA and the Nashville mayor they all have the same incentives they're they're all doing the same thing um and in tennessee it, it's a little different than a lot of states the attorney general here has uh different roles and different authorities uh, than you might expect from like a federal ag or uh, an ag in another state who's elected uh in this state the ag doesn't have original jurisdiction over criminal matters um, those are all tried by local DAs, and then the AG has the original jurisdiction on appeals. So we can't rely on that statewide officer to come in and jar it loose um, because it's, it's the county DA and then the feds who have jurisdiction over it. So they're going to hide that thing for as long as they can get away with it. So is there anybody, uh, you know, we don't get, obviously, a lot of us don't only get the national news if you're not on the ground like you are in Tennessee. So is there, are there, are there, the, the political or the state political actors, are they, are they demanding to see the manifesto? Like the state, I mean, I'm not even, if, I don't even know if they have the power, but like the state legislature or the governor or anybody there, are they, are they, is there calls to release the manifesto? Oh, ab absolutely. Yep. And, and everyone wants to see it. The only people who don't want us to see it are, are the left wingers who know that it's just going to devastate all of their, their trans activism. So no, we put in uh, public records requests with every possible agency we could they all got rejected um but but no the the people here who actually want facts are doing everything they can to jar that thing loose wow that's that's really that's really something well you know keep us uh, tuned to that well i know you will at the federalist i assume there's a lot of people trying to trying to get it uh, i want to just let's just change topics uh to uh this you know kind of current state of the state of affairs um you at the federalist uh, I think we've got the story that you just uh, came out with. I think you posted on True Social, but I wanted to go to that. Let's see if we can get our get our great producer to put that up on the screen here. And uh, well, unless our producer may have dropped, uh, <laughs> he may have dropped dead or something. I don't know. He's gone. Let's. Uh, we're going to have a jazz improv yeah. session here in a second. He's going to, we're going to put it up, but, but anyway, I've got it here, but I just didn't want to get the, so you've talked a lot about Ukraine and the, the stalemate in Ukraine. Um, walk us through, you just posted this story yesterday. Was it based on, does this have anything to do with the latest, there we go. We got on the screen. Does this have anything to do with the, the latest uh, leak of classified information 
or kind of a combination of it all. But but why do you call it a stalemate? Uh, can you can you read me the headline? I can't make it out here. Just so I know which exact story it is. Sure. Um, it says uh, U.S. taxpayers uh, have bought a stalemate in Ukraine, a bloody stalemate. Yeah. So, in Ukraine. Yeah. Okay. So that was John Davidson's piece. So yeah, that was based in part on some of these documents that have came out, have come out um, that showed some of these uh, projections and scenarios that have been offered to Congress by Milley and others may not have been completely accurate and truthful either about uh, Russian losses or, or Ukrainian losses. It, it appears that the Russian losses have been overstated and the Ukrainian losses have been understated. And I, I think we would call it a stalemate uh, for the reason that the war's still going on. There's, they're still in Ukraine. There's still people getting killed. Um, you know, I, I, I think to Ukraine's credit, they were able to repel what appeared to have been a, a full-on invasion and takeover um but you know russia's in crimea i don't think they're giving it up they're in in the western provinces and in the donbass uh or excuse me eastern uh i don't think they're giving that up and and i I, you and i we probably have differences of uh, opinion on this but um america's got some issues with wars right now we don't seem to be winning the ones where we're directly involved after 20 years um, you know, we pulled out of Afghanistan and in, in one of the most embarrassing withdrawals ever. And and now we're spending one hundred hundred and fifty billion dollars a year uh, over a border dispute while we're completely ignoring our own border. Um, while we're having inflation out of control, um, we don't have any idea where that money's going. And, and I just, you know, continue to be underwhelmed by the case that's being made for continued uh, American involvement there, especially given the stakes. You know, everyone in politics, they love to compare everything to World War II. It's the, it's mm-hmm. the only event in history that's ever happened. And everyone I don't like is Hitler. And then everyone I do like are the victorious allies. I, I actually think the far better historical analog to what's going on in Russia is World War I, where you had all this unrest in, in Eastern Europe and in Central Asia um, you had, you know, Austria-Hungary annexing land. You had the Serbs wanting their their nationalism. You had the Croats getting involved. There were religious issues there. You, you know, it's a powder keg is the metaphor that, that's constantly used. And then you end up having some Serbian nationals go in and uh, assassinate the number two uh, in charge in Austria. And then suddenly the whole world finds itself embroiled in a war that nobody really wanted to be involved in. Now take that and then add nuclear weapons to the mix. And I think that's the kind of, kind of volatile situation we have over there. And you know, it might be one thing if we had a competent government involved, if we had a military leadership that didn't just had an, a, an embarrassing history of failure and woke nonsense, you know, it might be a different strategic calculation. But I've seen the guys who are in charge right now, Mark Milley and Joe Biden, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, I have no faith in the ability of these people to thread that needle um, to, to defeat a, a massive army uh, with nuclear weapons. And, and recall, going back to World War II, since everyone likes to use that a, an analogy, how many bodies did, did the Soviet Union throw at Germany? Was it something like 50 million, 40 million, 50 million? I mean, their casualties were through the roof. Uh, Russia is not a government that seems to put a high premium on the value of its own people's lives. 
And I look at that and I think, man, they're, uh, when they go in, they're clearly committed. Uh, I, I'm not sure we're committed or fully aware of the consequences of our continued action over there. So I continue to be extremely skeptical of our involvement and the reasons for it. Yeah. Well, and I would just add that it's, it's the moving of the goalposts, right? That, that we've continued to have there. It's been that, oh, we're not going to, we're not going to get involved at all. Uh, well, first it was, oh, Russia's not going to do anything. And that was where the big mistakes were made. That should have been immediately taken seriously. I was still in Congress at the time. And, you know, I actually didn't believe that ultimately Putin would do it, not because I didn't think Putin could go in there and, and probably force a regime change, but just because do you really want to put hundreds of thousands of your guys on to, into the ground all over Ukraine, knowing that you're going to be in this bloody nightmare of, of, of you know, kind of it would just be continued conflict because I don't think the Ukrainians, you know, spend, I've spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe and I don't believe the Ukrainians for, for a number of reasons want to be under the control of a killer like Putin or, you know, a lot of them have memories of the old Soviet Union. So there's enough of them who don't want that to happen. Um, so the best Putin could have gotten by invading was just some long, you know, long bloody stalemate, even if he would have got kind of regime change or anything else. But I don't think it would have ended well for, for Putin that way. So I didn't think he would he would invade, but then he did, um, and probably a lot more should have been done by the United States and their allies before he invaded to try to stop him from invading. And I guess it's that you know that kind of the old uh, adage: if your opponent says they're going to invade and kill you, you probably ought to take them serious. And I don't think the the Biden administration took them seriously. And then there's just been this moving to the goalpost where oh, we're not going to give them weapons, which, by the way, it was Obama and Biden who didn't give the Ukrainians weapons. I always have to take people back to that time period. <laughs> they were the ones who were helping Putin back in 15 and 16 when they accused Trump of it. Trump actually came into office and then, then followed through on kind of the plans to actually give basic armaments to the Ukrainians. That probably is what mattered in, in stopping that initial push by the Russians and destroyed, I don't know, hundreds of their hundreds of their tanks. Um, you know, but now we've been, you know, what, what I think bewilders me and many people out there is this constant propaganda that is out there. You, you know, you, you, you like the fact that Zelensky seems like he's he's, you know, a, a telegenic leader. But then we constantly get reports out there that a lot of the footage is being doctored. And then, you know, he he shows up into and then you had the whole thing of, you know, when Biden went in there and they did you know, acted like there was some you know, emergency going on, you know, and it, it, it ends up none of it was true. Um, anyway, it's just I think that's the, the, the challenge that we're at right now with the uh, with this uh, with this stalemate. We've gotten ourselves into something we can't get out of. And Sean, aren't these the people that were always criticizing Republicans for being warmongers and that we needed to what's that word? Negotiate, negotiate a peace deal. That's all I heard for 20 years that, you know, they were going to, you know, Iraq was the bad war. Uh, Afghanistan was the good war. If, if they could just go get to the table, Bush and Cheney were warmongers. Remember, remember those days? And now suddenly these guys don't even know what the hell a peace a peace plan looks like. They don't even have it. I mean, you got the Chinese put, putting forth peace plans and I haven't seen a peace plan or anything. All you see is, is Democrats for sure. But even some Republicans pounding their chest, like, we have to win. We're going to win in, in Ukraine. Like, guys, what the hell does winning even look like there? 
Like what you, you think Ukraine's going to march into uh, Moscow? I mean, I just don't think it's the case. And then these numbers are all over the map. And now we see the, the, the leak of what I guess is, is we didn't know at first. Remember last week, the, or a few days ago, the leak was a Russian oppo, <laughs> yeah. right? It was, it was disinformation, Russian oppo. Well, now everybody's focused on the, on the leaker, which look, it's a big problem. We can't have leaks of classified information in our, in our country, but for the first time ever, they don't seem to be interested in the underlying information that's in there, as you said, is is problematic, I think, for our our current government. Yeah. And it's you talk about negotiation. I I, I always approach stuff, you know, whether it's a business deal or, you know, something you're doing locally with your government or big stuff between nations. You always have to figure out what each side's interests are. Um, it is clear that for Putin, Ukraine being in NATO is is a, is a red line. And Russia not having access to a warm water port via the Black Sea in Crimea, that's a red line. So I, I feel like Putin was trying to shoot the moon. It almost seems like he thought the die had been cast, that he bought off enough generals down there, that when he marched in, Zelensky was going to flee. He was going to have his victory column come in and take over, and he was going to get everything he wanted. That quickly evaporated, and that didn't happen. But after that point, he had Crimea, he had the Eastern provinces, the Donetsk. So if you're looking at his interests at that point, he's, he's kind of secured his access to the Black Sea. He secured his access to the Crimean Peninsula. On the flip side, what are Ukraine's interests? Ukraine's interests are not being a Russian puppet, clearly. They don't want to be a puppet government. So they were able to expel him from Kiev, from taking over the country. That's a huge victory. But at the same time, Russia coming in and taking over eastern Ukraine actually in the long term might be good for Ukraine because that's where the most Russian, pro-Russian votes come from. That, that's where they have the big divide in politics when they're having their elections. So it, it, it's possible to look at that and see like, you know what, Putin actually kind of fixed a problem for Ukraine where they don't have to worry so much about their elections being puppeteered and rigged because of all this Russian, ethnic Russian and Russian nationalist sentiment in these areas, they're kind of back to a Ukraine only Ukrainian country. At that point, that was the time for Ukraine to claim victory. We defeated this awful aggressor. We sent the Soviet bear back crawling and licking its wounds. U.S. sweeps in and says, okay, you guys, you live next to each other. You're going to have to get along. You know, we'll come up with a new Minsk agreement everyone's got to agree with. There is a way to negotiate that so that each side felt like they had gotten something, which you always have to have in a negotiation. And there could have been probably a, a rickety, um, a little uncertain piece, but far better for everyone involved than constant war over there. But unfortunately, we have a bunch of people in, in office now in the Biden administration, Victoria Nuland, who just see Ukraine as a vehicle for rolling into Moscow and achieving regime change on, on Putin. And so now we're actually involved in a proxy war for regime change uh, in Russia. Now, Putin strikes me as a pretty bad dude. Uh, I don't think he's good for the world. Uh, I also don't think if he were somehow to be removed that we're automatically going to get like the Russian version of Ahmed Chalabi uh, rolling in and he's going to be this great freedom fighter and everyone's going to love him. 
No, he's going to re- be replaced by someone who's worse, who's an even bigger gangster. And it disappoints me, having been alive for the last 20 years, to discover that no one in American government has realized the folly of their regime change efforts. Like, we, we've got a pretty big sample of what happens when they go in there and they do that. And it's worked out pretty poorly for us on every front. And yet they just keep plowing ahead like nothing ever happened. I mean, it, it is that situation is so dangerous and so volatile. And yet we don't seem to have any adults in charge saying, hey, guys, let's take a step back and look at the potential consequences here. And maybe we just try to broker a piece instead of letting Xi from China come in and be the broker. Like th- this thing from beginning to end has been a disaster for America economically, militarily and diplomatically. And everyone in charge is completely blind to it. Yeah. And now we find out that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who, according to these documents, probably, you know, lied to the American public, possibly lied to Congress. What, um, just to kind of finish up on this topic, but I do want to get into the dueling narratives that are out there with the leaker who was some described first as a, just a kid that was playing, that was gaming and wanted to show off to his friends uh, and then, of course, you got the other side of it who's saying, oh, he's a, uh, um, you know, uh, a James Bond style, stole all this stuff and, and leaked it all out. And then you got some people saying he's a he's a whistleblower. I don't know what the hell to believe, but what are you how are you evaluating it right now as you guys are, are producing uh, news on the subject of this of this uh, uh, young man who's arrested? Yeah. So in general, I think classified leaks are bad. Um, kind of regardless of whose ox gets gored. I I don't think you can have, uh, I don't think you can operate a government in any form, certainly not a military with with national security stuff. If people can just go and leak stuff whenever they want with no repercussions, that's why all the Russiagate stuff was so bad. That's why the Flynn leaks were so bad. Uh, You simply can't have people be able to do that. Um, On the flip side, I don't like it when people in our government who are paid to uphold an oath to the Constitution and tell the truth roll in and lie to Congress. I don't like it when they go on television and lie to the American people. Um, I think that's incredibly damaging to the country and to our national security. So I kind of take a pox on all their houses Mm -hmm. approach to this. I mean, if you're going to go in and steal classified information and leak it, you have to be prepared for the consequences. There's just just, whether you're, uh, you know, Snowden. Or, or who else, th- there are consequences to doing that. Um, if you want to be a whistleblower, we actually have a uh, procedure set up in law for you to go and do legal whistleblowing. Uh, Senator Charles Grassley from Iowa, uh, one of the best, I think, whistleblower advocates in all of Congress. There are mm-hmm. legal avenues, if you believe uh, crimes have been committed, for you to take it to Congress and have the information out there while still preserving your legal rights. Um, at the same time, you know, we still don't know who the Supreme Court leaker is. Right. Our government didn't right. seem real interested in that. We don't know who leaked uh, the Flynn transcript stuff. To, I was just, uh, just going to say that. Yep. Yeah. The to biggest, David Ignatius. The, yeah. the only crime that was committed during the Russia hoax was was a, a very serious crime, which was the leaking of tra- transcripts uh, all over Washington, D.C. from from nine sources, no less. <laughs> that was the only crime ever committed. And. No one ever even called it a crime. I don't, I mean, they never even went to look for the criminal leaker because it was them. They would have to investigate yeah. themselves. Yeah. So to, uh, to kind of close the circle on how we started, we, we talked about how the only real crime in this country under this regime 
is saying things that are devastating to the regime's narrative. Mm -hmm. This is a perfect example. And it's why they didn't tolerate it. They had this guy in two days. They, they leaked all their stuff to their, uh, their friends at Bellingcat, which is an obvious to me CIA cutout or NATO cutout, whatever you want to call it. Bellingcat goes and works with the New York Times. And within like two days, they've got the guy in handcuffs. Uh, so you can't tell me they don't know who the Flynn leaker was. They don't know who the Dobbs leaker was. They don't know who the leakers were uh, in all the Russiagate stuff. And, and so while I believe, you know, we have laws for a reason, you can't steal and leak classified information. It, it, it really bothers me to see, once again, the rule of law being turned into a complete double standard based on uh, your politics and on whose narrative is getting gored. I totally, I totally agree with that. Well, Sean, I want to one final topic because I'm trying to figure out what exactly Biden is doing over in, in, in Ireland. Uh, but I want to get you to comment on his latest remarks. I think we're going to try to put it up here on the screen and uh, play it for you because in case I don't think you've heard them yet, but he was finishing a speech and I, I'm just trying to figure out what he's talking about. I'm hoping maybe you can shed some light on it. So let's Let's try to play. Hopefully the video works here. Let's try to play the video. Thank you all. God bless you all. Let's go. Let's go late and let the world. Let's get it done. All right. We're going to lick the world. Sean, what, what the hell is he talking about? All right. So he's Joe Biden. So who even knows? I, I generally try to put the best construction on this stuff. Like same, same with Trump. Trump would say something and the media would freak out. Oh, he meant this, this and that. And you'd say, no, he, he obviously was meaning this. Putting the best construction on what Biden said. Maybe it's like you're, it, it's the 50s and your football coach has got you in the locker room and he's, you know, we're going to go lick the opponent good. You know, a metaphor for, for beating them. I have no idea. I mean, do you think he even knew where he was when he said that? I, I don't know, but it was it was it was it was awfully strange. <laughs> but with that, Sean, thanks a lot for uh, being a great sport. I think you get, you shed a lot of light on on every obviously everything going on with Twitter and in Nashville uh, with a horrific tragedy there, and then recapping kind of where we're at with this latest latest leak in the situation in Ukraine. But uh, we love what you guys do over at the Federalist, and we're. Proud to have you. You've been on the platform from the very beginning. And the more uh, Twitter wants to censor you, look, it's, it's better for us. So we're, you're welcome over here at True Social. Well, thank you for defending free speech uh, and for having me on. It's always fun talking to you. All right, Sean. With that, everybody, we'll catch you next time. It's Devin Nunes checking out.